Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. pray father we love you lord and we just we just welcome your presence father holy spirit i pray that you will be in every home every vehicle every office building wherever my brothers and sisters are at either right now or later on listening to the podcast that father you would just be with them lord god and and it will be you that is speaking to them not me lord god father i pray that i will fade to the background and it'll be just your words that are being heard lord so father i thank you for this time we praise you for what you're doing in our lives, and we are expectant to receive a word from you. In your holy, precious name, Jesus Christ, amen, amen, amen. All right, all right, let's stretch. Exodus 21, and as usual, I am reading from the New King James Version. Starting with verse 1, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, you shall he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he, if he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will no, not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, he shall not go out as, a, as male slaves do. If she does not please her master, who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. Verse 12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will point for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. If men contend with each other, and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks, out, walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man beats his male or female servants with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, 
eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. Verse 28. If an ox gores a man or woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with his horns in times of past, it has been made known to his owner, and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. If there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life, whatever is imposed on him. Whether as gored a son or, or gored a daughter, according to the judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. If one man's ox hurts another so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox shall, shall also divide. Or if it was known that the ox tended to th thrust in time past, and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall be his own. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's give it a stretch. If you got that Bustelo this morning, you know what to do. Okay. So when we're reading the laws in the Old Testament, there's a lot of laws. Okay. We have our Ten Commandments like we went over yesterday. And then there's hundreds of laws under Moses that, you know, he had to write for the people. And you may be asking yourself, why did Moses have to be so particular with these people? Well, if you've read the Bible at any point in your life, you know that the Israelites, they were knuckleheads and they were petty and they didn't always do what was right. You know, so it's kind of like, you know, as parents, we have rules for our kids you know, and then they do something dumb. So you got to be more specific with the rules and they do something dumb. You got to be more specific with, with the rules, you know, and you, and so then you get down to the nitty gritty of a rule and you, you get, and it's like, why does it have to be so, so particular, you know, in the military, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, the, the, the idea of, of punishing all for the, for the mistakes of one, right? One person messes up. We got to have a, have a rule. One person messes up, you got to make a whole rule. And everyone else is like, why do we even have these rules? Because common sense says, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. But people, listen, right? Pastor Brennan says, people are peopley sometimes. So Moses had to write all of these laws because, you know, as humans, we're going to find a way to get around the rules, right? So he had to be very specific. So getting into it, um, chapters 21 through 23, they, again, they're going to contain many of the laws of a variety of subjects, including the treatment of servants, uh, murder, manslaughter, violent assaults, um, liability for your animals, responsibility for the animals of others, theft, uh, restitution, rape, the value of a woman's virginity idolatry, sorcery, treatment of the poor, money and, and, and property lending, justice and equal standing before the law. 
is a wide ranging uh, uh, topics, you know, that quite honestly, if men's heart were in tune with God, there'd be no need for all these rules, right? There'd be no need for all these laws. You know, if you follow the 10 commandments, right? Follow all 10, really that's all you should have to follow, right? But then we start justifying and we start, you know, well, what about this? What about that? So then Moses is like, all right, all right, God, we got to be more specific with these people. Verse two says, if you buy a Hebrew servant uh, with, with ancient Israel, as, as with the entire ancient world, there were people who worked for others on the principle of servitude, right? Um, and here they're slaves in some sense. But they're not necessarily in the the, the brutal and um, degrading sense that we're, we're, when we think of slavery, right? Because when we think of slavery, we're automatically going to think about the slavery that took place in our country and the evil atrocities that took place, right? And so you, you, you hear the word slavery, that's what we think about because we are a Western culture and that's what our the history of our country did for you know you know hundreds of years um but slavery has existed for thousands and thousands of years in this sense when it comes to the hebrews and the children of israel it was more of a servitude um some think that the bible is responsible for slavery right because again in our country and our history of with slavery there were people who used the bible to justify owning other people right we call those people idiots they had no idea what they were actually reading right and that's what happens brothers and sisters when you read the word of god and you're not allowing the holy spirit to reveal the word of god to you okay because if we just we can you can know the Bible front and back and you can you can quote all the scriptures all that you want, but if you do not read it and 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 speak it through the lens of the Holy Spirit, right? We are able, because we are people, we are sinful creatures, and we will take the Bible and we will twist it to meet our own ends. Who here? I'm like, I ask you to raise your hand, but. Is there anyone here listening to the sound of my voice who you're going through a situation, right? Perhaps with your significant other or, or a family member and you see what they're doing and you're like, well, you know what the Bible says, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, no, that's not what the Bible says. That's what you say the Bible says, right? So the Bible is not responsible for slavery. The opposite is very, very true when it comes to this, because uh, the Bible is responsible actually for the elimination of slavery, not its establishment. Charles Spurgeon, who, you know, you hear me quote, you know, a lot of times when, when, when I'm speaking to you guys said, Moses did not institute slavery in any shape. The laws concerning it were made on purpose to repress it, to confine it within very narrow bonds and ultimately to put it to an end. So there were there were four basic ways a Hebrew might become a slave to another Hebrew. Um, in extreme poverty, they might sell their freedom, right? Like, I'm poor, I have nothing, I promise that I'm going to serve you for an X amount of time, right? We read about that in Leviticus 25. A father might sell a daughter 
as a servant into a home with the intention that she would eventually marry into that family. In the case of bankruptcy, a man might become a servant to the creditors. <clears throat> Excuse me. If a thief had nothing with which to pay proper restitution, they could sell themselves you know, into servanthood. The ideas of, 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 of man stealing and, and lifelong servitude concepts um, that we many of us have with slavery simply do not apply to Old Testament slavery. They do not apply. Normally, slavery was chosen or mutually arranged of limited duration, and it was highly regulated. That's the thing, highly regulated. It says in verse two, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay nothing. In all four of these cases of servitude uh, that I mentioned, servitude was never obligated to be lifelong. If you were a, a servant of somebody, if you were a, quote, slave to somebody, it was never a, intended to be a lifelong thing. The Hebrew servant worked for six years and then was set free on the seventh. Right? Where have we seen that before? You work six, you rest on the seventh. Amen. So listen, God kind of knows what he's doing, right? And and God has a pattern to his work. Work six, you're free on the seventh. Verse three says, If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. At the end of the six years, the servant went out with what he came in with. But if the master provided a wife, right, like during that time of servitude, you know, the servant got married to another servant and they had children. Well, if the wife still had um, time to serve the master, the husband can go free, but the wife still had to fulfill the obligation. Right. And once they fulfill the obligation, then they can go. However, if the if the man came in and he was married. Prior to becoming a servant. Then when he was set free, the wife was set free. But verse five, if the servant plainly says, I love my master, if after the six years, a servant wanted to make a lifelong commitment to his master in light of his master's goodness and, and, and the blessings that the master, you know, um, gave to the servant, he could, through a ceremony, make a lifelong commitment to his master. And, the, and the, 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 this commitment was not motivated by debt. It wasn't motivated motivated by obligation, but only by the love of, for the master and the good things the master had done for the servant. So you could choose to become a lifelong servant. You were not forced into lifelong servitude. You chose this life and it was highly regulated, right? It says in verse six, his master shall bring him to the judges. This describes a public ceremony for recognizing willing love for the master, a willing slave, willing to become lifelong indebted to the master, one, one who had fulfilled his obligation, yet he still wanted to serve. It says his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And in the ceremony, the servant's ear was, was pierced. It was opened as a signal that he's a lifelong servant to this master. This was done in the presence of witnesses, and then he will serve him forever. This wasn't some secret clandestine event where I kidnap somebody, I pierce his ear, and now he belongs to me. No, 
this was in front of people, right? The judges, you know, I'm sure they wanted to make sure, like, you know, servant, male, female, whatever. Do you willingly make this decision? Psalm 40, verse 6, later spoke of the ceremony taking place between the father and the son. The psalmist wrote, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Jesus is a picture of this because he was the perfect bond slave to the father. Philippians 2, 7 says, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. Once the ceremony takes place, you know, it said he shall serve him forever. And Jesus gave us the right to be called friends instead of servants. John 15, 15 says, no longer do I call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father. I have made, made known to you. This is a picture of service to Jesus. We have the right to go free if we want to. We don't have to serve Jesus. We don't have to serve the Lord. We can go, we can be, I'm, I'm done with this. We have that freedom. We must be willing to take the consequences of chosen service. Being a Christian, being a Christ follower is not easy. There are some, some, some consequences of it. The way your friends treat you, the way your families treat you, the people around you may treat you. And we must be motivated by love for the master. If we love the Lord, we will serve him. It says in verse seven, if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, the matter described, um, it, it, what's describing is the selling of a young female um, to a family with the intention of marriage. It is explained in verse eight, he who, he, um, who has betrothed her to himself. So a young woman could be, you know, sold to a family, but not just to be a slave, but with the intention of being married to either the master or to one of his sons. Okay, so it it, it sounds worse than what it really means. Okay, because this young girl has rights, right? She's not a slave to be beaten and all this. And there's there's more rules. We're gonna if we have time, we're gonna try to go over it. You know, um, so 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 the master who takes on this young girl has the responsibility and is obligated to respect her rights under God's law. He had to treat her well and give her the opportunity to 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 escape the obligation of servitude. It says in verse ten, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. If the girl did not work out. She, you know, she was not to be treated poorly. She was not to be deprived of the comforts of home, but treated, according to verse 9, according to the customs of daughters. She was supposed to be treated like a daughter, not a slave. Right? So again, when we dig, dig deeper, it's not she's just going to be a slave. She's actually supposed to be treated like one of his daughters. She's coming into his home with the attention of being betrothed to either himself or one of his sons, she shall be treated like a daughter. But if the, if the household failed in their obligation um, towards the girl who was received into the, into the home with the expectation of, of future marriage, she was granted her freedom. Hey, it may not work out. You know, sons may be knuckleheads and I don't want to marry them, <laughs> you know? 
So she was free to move on. These were, this was remarkable protections for those who might normally have been taken advantage of. Because there are other cultures in ancient times, even today, where women, young girls are not treated with respect. And we're seeing in the Old Testament, thousands of years ago, the amount of respect that's given to young women. The girl in these circumstances, out of, you know, she's out of her birth home. You know, she's been released by, by her parents. She had no, no natural protections, you know, no natural protectors in that society, but yet God directed the judges to be her protector. There were judges in place. We read about that already, where Moses put, put leaders and judges amongst the children of Israel. And so, again, people are people. And if this woman, young woman was treated in a negative way, there were laws and protections in place to keep her safe and to protect her. Verse 12 says, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. The principle for capital punishment goes back, way back, way back to, to Genesis 9, verse 6, where it says, whoever sheds a man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. It says, if he did not live, uh, lion wait, verse 14, if a man acts with premeditation, it's talking about premeditated murder now. God told the judges of Israel to look for evidence of premeditation and treachery. God did not place accidents and crimes of passion or neglect in the same plane as crimes of premeditation. You know, God is, God knows what he's doing. Okay. So he had to put all these things in place. So the children of Israel just want, it won't be like the wild west and everyone's doing whatever they wanted to do. It says, you, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. The principle of, of punishing murderers is so important to God that he denied murderers refuge at his altar. According to almost universal custom in the ancient world, a religious altar was a place of sanctuary against justice or vengeance, right? You read about like in, in history in the, the Middle Ages, if you were a criminal, you went to the church, you know, the Catholic church, and you went to the building you can you can cry for sanctuary sanctuary and, and they'll bring you in and you're you're safe from the law okay another example of how the church messed up what god said because according to exodus 21 god's altar is not to be used as a place of refuge for a criminal if you were a criminal there were repercussions for what you did and god's saying don't come to my altar you messed up. You need to face the consequences. Yet God told the judges of Israel that, that there was to be no mercy in the sentencing of the guilty of the worst murderers, first-degree murder. The, the murder was to be uh, was to find no protection in, in misunderstood or misapplied faith. All right. God said that the unpunished murderers defiled the land. If you were a murderer, you defiled the land. You have no place in the land. Numbers 35, beginning with verse 31 says, moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. Verse 33, so you shall not pollute the land where you, where you are, for blood defiles the land, and no atonement can be made for the land, for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Verse 34, therefore, 
Do not defile the land which you inhabit, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell among the children of Israel. If you committed a capital crime, you murdered somebody, you were to be removed, period, point blank. And we're going to read later that God established cities of refuge where uh, people who committed a crime, they can go to these cities, you know, within the, the, the lands of the children of Israel. And you were safe there while you awaited judgment. Okay. That didn't mean you can just go there and you, you're scot-free. I'm going to go commit a crime, go back to the city and chill. No, like there was laws in place. Verse 15, he who strikes his father or mother, strikes must be must be taken into the context of verse 12, where it said, he who strikes a man so that he so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Someone who murders or attempts to murder a parent was to receive capital punishment for that. Okay, we're almost done here. We got a, few, uh, a couple more verses I want, I want to try to cover in this, this short amount of time we have left. Verse 22, moving on. Says he shall surely be punished according as a woman's husband imposed on him. This is uh, an example of a case where a pregnant woman was injured um, in a conflict, in a fight, and and she gives birth prematurely. A penalty was to be assessed if there was no lasting damage. So she gives birth prematurely, and everything's fine though. The baby's fine, you know, but there's still a penalty, right? Because she was injured, and the baby came too early. If no lasting damage resulted, no damage was awarded. Perhaps this was a recognition that the law cannot address every loss or consequence and that only permanent consequences are justly compensated. So again, if a woman gives birth prematurely because of a fight or whatever, she was, she was pushed, she fell, and everything is fine, right? Baby's fine, mom is fine after everything. There's no punishment. There's no damage, right? But us as humans, you know, I'll tell you what, when my baby girl was, was, was still marinating in Sandra, right? If God forbid something happened and she was pushed and she came prematurely, I'm going to tell you what, I might have to take off my crown right quick and put it down. You know what I'm saying? And, and there's going to be consequences and repercussions, but that's just Jason, right? That's just Jason. That's, that's, that's the flesh speaking but god says there's no damage there's no lasting consequences there's no punishment right and that's god saying like listen we have to look at the whole situation verse 24 talks about eye for an eye right tooth for a tooth hand for a hand foot for foot right so even the eye for an eye principle has limited retribution this law was meant to, to block man's natural desire for vengeance. It was, not a, it was not given as a license for revenge, okay? We think eye for an eye, you do something to me, I'm going to do something worse, right? That's not what God is saying here, right? Our tendency is to want to do more against the offending uh, party than what they did to us, right? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse, right? Who's, who's with me? You know, you do something to me, I'm going to do something worse to you. You know what I'm saying? Um, again, that's the flesh speaking. But God is saying, no, 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 no. We are going to give equal punishment. Right? The principle can apply to our modern practice of, of assessing huge punitive damages in lawsuits. This law presents the principle that only the loss itself is to be compensated. Right? 
Verse 26, if a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. Eye for an eye had a different application for servants. If injured by the master, then the servant received something even more precious than their eye or their tooth or whatever it is. They receive their freedom. So you become a servant. And then week one, master, you know, strikes you and you lose an eye, you're free. Right? Like you, the master went above and beyond what he was allowed to do to you. You have your freedom. These laws don't try to make the master feel a certain way about his slave. Instead, the laws guide the behavior of the master, giving him incentive to protect and honor his slave, treating them more like an employee than a work animal. Again, the Bible did not establish slavery. The Bible goes out of its way to remove slavery. All right. And as we close, we're talking about slavery on, on, on the practical sense, right? Let's talk about the spiritual sense. You see, brothers and sisters, we have been slaves to our sin. We have been slaves to the devil, right? And the devil has been doing this a long time and has kept us captive. He does what, and, and, and he keeps us wallowing in our sin and in, you know, and, and in our depression and everything that he puts upon us, right? But Jesus came to set the captives free. Jesus came to break those chains of slavery with our sin. Jesus came to remove us from the power of the enemy. And he calls us to be his bondservants, right? But we can willingly choose, come on, this is important. We can willingly choose to be Jesus' bondservant. We can willingly choose to serve him. No one says you have to be a Christian. No one says you have to be a Christ follower, right? The devil says you have, you are a slave to your sin. You have no other choice. And he speaks to us and he keeps us where we're at. Jesus says, come to me. You can willingly serve me. There's going to be, there's going to be, you know, some, some things you're going to have to go through. Life with me is not easy, but he's saying, if you come to me, I will set you free. Amen. And we have the choice to do that, the choice to serve the Lord. But then what happens? What happens when, when we become a bond servant to Jesus? He says, I no longer call you servant. I call you friend. Being a slave to Christ is to become a friend to Christ. That's kind of an oxymoron, right? That doesn't make sense. But let me tell you, this Christian walk doesn't always make sense. Jesus says, follow me. Make me your master. I will make you my friend. Come on. And that's a promise. That is a promise. Make him your master. He will make you your friend. And that's something you could take to the bank. This is not a religion, brothers and sisters, where we're, we're obligated to, to just rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. The church, the, even, even the, the, the rabbis in Judaism, they, they've put so many rules upon us. But Jesus came to break the yoke of the rules. He came to break the yoke of religion and to bring, and so, to, to bring us into relationship with him. And I don't know about you. I'd rather be in relationship with Jesus than to be a slave to, 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 to Satan. Y'all could do what y'all want to do. I'm going to tell you right now, I'd rather be a slave to Jesus. And he calls me friend 
than to be a slave to the enemy. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you, Lord, and we just thank you for your word, Father. We thank you, Father, that we can, to, we can look at a, a passage of scripture like Exodus 21, where it's just rules upon rules, having to deal with, to deal with slaves and, and all this stuff, Father, but we can still find truths, Lord God. We can still see your handiwork, Father. We can still see your fingerprint on this word, Lord God, that, Father, we can come to you and you call us friends. So thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our lives. Father, I pray for each and every one of my brothers and sisters on this call, Lord God. I pray for my brothers and sisters listening later on to the, to the podcast, Father, Lord, that you just speak to them, Lord God. Father, reveal things in their lives that they have not yet given up to you, Lord Jesus. Father, things that they're, that they're still slave to, that they're still captive to, Father, Lord. And Father, I pray that they would just give it to you. Give it to you, Father, so that, so that you can call them friend, Father. So, Father, we just praise you for what you're doing. We thank you, Father. We continually are grateful for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. All right, guys. I love you all. Y'all are amazing. I will see you again next week. God bless.